Thanks for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast. We're a church in the great city of San Francisco, and our heart is that everyone would experience true sanctuary in Jesus. We're currently in a series called Just Jesus, where we're walking through the Gospel of Mark so that in this time of deconstruction and disappointment, we can simply get our eyes on this person of Jesus. Just a quick note, our teaching often does include a decent amount of discussion and community response, and we do intentionally edit that out in order to preserve confidentiality and the Sunday experience. So you'll likely not hear the full content or context of the teaching, but still, our hope is that this will encourage you and equip you. And really, we're just so honored that you would listen in. Here it is. I just wanted to pause to also recognize what I thought was such a actually cool thing this morning with Joni leading worship and Iris Byer, I know it's already been mentioned, and then Grandma coming around. This picture of, you know, we're a family here. We had kids like lead off in prayer in the beginning. And if you can't tell, we're not trying to stand on ceremony, as it were, like trying to create this repeatable thing. But we believe that God's family is just that. It's a family. And right now, our little church has a lot of young kids. And so we, we allow them to be in the mix. And we think that's a really key ingredient uh, to it. And thought it was beautiful that in a very unhurried way, you're able to just help Joni be at peace so her mom could, could play. And you were serving us and you're serving Joni and you're serving um, kind of all, all of us. So, so appreciate that. You know, my wife and I, we've been here for coming on five years in San Francisco. And I think we had a New Yorker in the room or people from New York. We met in New York, my wife and I. Um, and so kind of fun to have that, that connection. We love San Francisco. We moved here actually to be a part of this, to be a part of Sanctuary Church. And so that's kind of what, what we're up to. We're going to, in a moment, do what we do every week, which is we'll read a scripture together. And then we'll actually break into some little groups and kind of chat about that. And then feedback a few things and, and kind of then I'll, I'll say a few words about, uh, about that. So um, why don't we do, well, maybe before I, we dive into that, I'm going to bring something ahead. I think this morning, we're, you know, one of the things that we're really contending for here, and Tim alluded to it in prayer, is that we really believe that God speaks and that he speaks today and that he wants to speak. And not just to like some special holy people, but actually to everybody. Like we can all hear God's voice. We actually contend and believe that. And so as we pick up where we've left off, Tim mentioned we've been in a series going through the book of Mark in the Bible. We're going to pick up where we left off. I want to invite you to, number one, be honest about your experience throughout the morning. Like if you're feeling frustrated or if you're like, I don't buy that, just be honest about that. Like allow those thoughts to come into your mind any emotions or things that you may experience, like let's not push that aside. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you have to push aside and like suspend, you know, your, I'll say unbelief or whatever it is. Like let's come and be real about those things. But I'd also say, let's be curious and see as you experience emotions, thoughts, feelings, like be curious about those. Don't shut them down. Like, hey, what is this maybe telling me about um, whatever is, is going on? in the moment. And then I want to say, let's follow the data as we have rational minds. Like, okay, we're experiencing things. We're thinking about things like, where is that taking me? Let's look at that data. And and in a curious way, allow us to 
not bring our preconceived notions of things to shut things down, but actually say, all right, experiencing something. Let me kind of see where that goes. I'll test it, see if it's real, see if it works. And I think that's kind of a, a decent way to go about things and not just sort of import our religious dogma into that. So if, as I frame that, that's kind of what we're endeavoring to do every week is to, is to come and, and we're in a church. So hopefully it's no surprise as we're in church. Like you've come, I'm, there's some level of assumption that we're probably going to talk about God here. We're going to probably read the Bible a bit here in church. We will do that. And for us, we again believe that God speaks, not just talking about some deity in the sky with gray hair, but actually as a living God, that's one thing that we contend for, as I mentioned. And so um, I'm, I invite you into that journey as we go through this. Does that sound good? Okay, so we're going to, here's the agenda. We're going to read the scripture in a minute. As I said, we're going to break into groups. I'll then share a few words. And then I'm going to actually lead us in a time collectively to to uh, listen to God for ourselves, to actually listen to him speaking to us. And we'll go through that together. And we uh, may discuss that a little bit in our little groups on the back end of that. And then we'll, we'll probably uh, wrap, wrap and be done. I think maybe we'll do communion at the very end. So are we all good with that? Yeah. Great. Well, we're, as I said, in Mark um, 8, if you want to bring it up. I'd love a volunteer to just read this. It's the very last section in the chap- chapter 8 of Mark. Um, to kick us off, someone want to be brave enough to read that out on the screen? Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say? Peter answered, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. And when he, when he comes in, his Father's glory, the holy glory, the holy angels. Thank you. Great. So why don't we go ahead and break into, find sort of organically little groups, and we will answer the same two questions that we seek to answer every week about this scripture for the week, which is, what does this say about God? What does this tell me about God? And what does this tell me about people? We'll put um, the, the verse, maybe the first one there on the screen, Mike. And again, it's, it's Mark 8, 27 to 38. So there's Bibles scattered around if you want to kind of reopen it, 8, 27 to 38. Why don't we just find our little groups and we'll spend five minutes or so and, and talk about that with those two questions in mind. What does this say about God or tell me about God? And what does this tell me about people? 
Why don't we, um, I'd love to get some, some perspective from the different groups. Whatever was hitting your front burner on this, maybe we can f- feed that back, what you guys are, are thinking about it. These guys are still, they're like literally probably writing my sermon right now as we speak. They're still going. <laughs> I, I see this group. Look, you guys seem like you were done and got it, got it all figured out. No, just kidding. I'd love to just hear, like, what, what was coming up for you guys? Something that I think um, we'll talk about. So why don't we do this? Let's pray. I'm going to pray really quick, kind of to kick things off. I'm going to share some thoughts, and then we'll, I think we'll spend some time and kind of actually listen for what God might, might say to us personally. So I want to pray to kick that off. Jesus, um, wow, it's really amazing to sit under your word. And I want to ask this morning, wherever we're at, will you come and minister to us through your word, through me, and through your own voice, that we would in fact encounter you, God, and will you continue to just lead us on this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. So we have, we covered when we kicked this whole series off in Mark, which we've been going verse by, kind of section by section from Mark 1 to where we are today. And when we kicked it off, we sort of said, who is the audience of this book? And the audience that Mark is primarily writing to are persecuted Gentile Christians living in Rome. And he's, his objective in writing to persecuted Gentile, meaning non-Jew, persecuted Gentile Christians living in Rome, his objective is to introduce those people to Jesus because they didn't know him. Mark did. So he's saying, here, let me give you the picture of who this guy is. Let me show you his life because I think it could help you in your persecuted Gentile situation in Rome. That's what he's doing. Um, And so this is an interesting moment in that whole story because basically Mark as the author is, is using this story that we just read as kind of a step back to say, okay, we're eight chapters in. We've been seeing all this crazy stuff. Now let's take a step back and allow you to say, are you getting it? Do do you know who this guy is that we've been talking about for eight chapters? Um, And so, and he he starts it off right here. This sort of intro line to the step back moment is on the way he asked his disciples. So they're on their way from where they were to where they're going. And he says, on the way there, he asked his disciples a question. And I think there's something of that invitation right now for us. On the way in your life, like right now, is an interruptive moment to say, I have a question for you. And we can, engage, just as Robbie said, we can now engage with that. We can actually, and that's part of the way the, the scripture is like alive. And, and it's not just this old book. It's something we can engage with today and lean in with God today. And I just want to prompt you. I think God might be saying, hey, I want to ask you a question along your way and get your attention. And so he, Jesus starts by getting the, the point of view from the crowd. And he asks his disciples, who do people out there say that I am? He asked this question. I think someone mentioned it. I think not because he didn't know the answer or because he was feeling insecure about like, oh, do they not like me? Maybe I could make an adjustment to get them to like me. It's not that. It's, it's, it's really a teaching moment to say, hey, who, who do they say that I am? Let's, let's get you talking and I want to maybe prompt us with this same. I think it's an interesting question. Today, 
who, who, and I just want to invite, just, we won't spend long on this, but throw a few things. Who, who do we think, who do people out there, I'll say, or in general, people in general say that Jesus is right now, like in 2023 in San Francisco or wherever you're from, throw out some descriptors. There's like no wrong answer here. Like just, it could be in your experience, I've seen someone who thinks probably Jesus is blank, fill in the blank. Who do they say that he is? A teacher. A role model. A legend or a myth. A yep. A nice guy. Mm-hmm. Did someone say prophet already? A prophet? Any other ones? Maybe crazy? Yeah, fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a whole mixed bag. If you were to pull 100 people, who do you say Jesus is and just get that first one-liner? Like, what do they say? Well, the answer the disciples give is they say, he, people are saying about you that you're either John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. And so there's a lot I could unpack about those three categories, but I, I think well, I want to make two really simple observations. That Number one... All uh, John the Baptist, Elijah, and the group of prophets are two things. One, they're all people who spoke the oracles of God. They're, they're truth tellers. That was their role. They came and they spoke on behalf of God and they told, proclaimed at least, to tell truth. And they would proclaim that to people. The second thing is they're dead. They're dead men. Or in the case of Elijah, who was swept up to heaven, like, you know, the story is he didn't actually die. He got swept up to he- heaven. But the point is they're, they're, they're deceased people who used to tell the truths of God. And so how is it that the crowd has come to this conclusion? Like, why do you think that's who he is? That he's this deceased truth teller. And I think effectively they're saying, you know, he's this reincarnated truth teller. That's their conclusion. And I want to know, like, why did they come to that conclusion? And so I, what I think we could do is look back at Mark, because apparently Jesus is living such a convincing life of being from, an invi- from the invisible world and having some sort of commissioned word from God that people have said, that's who you are. And so let's look, it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run us through it. So in Mark 1, here's some thi- from Mark 1 to where, we are to, to, to where we are now, this is some things that happened. Mark 1, Jesus casts out demons. Then he goes to another village and he heals the entire village of physical sickness and casts out their demons. Mark 2, he heals a paralytic so the person can walk again. In Mark 3, he restores a withered hand back to normal. In Mark 4, he calms a raging sea storm that's threatening to capsize the boat that he and his disciples are in with just a word. He speaks to it and it calms. In Mark 5, he raises a dead girl back to life. In Mark 6, He turns five loaves of bread and two fish into enough food to feed over 5,000 people with leftovers. He also, then many people come and find him and they just by touching the hem of his garment, they're physically healed of whatever infirmity they have. In Mark 7, he restores the hearing to a deaf man. In Mark 8, where we are now, he does a similar one where he this time takes seven loaves of bread and turns it into enough food to feed over 4,000 people, again, with leftovers. And then last week, we looked at how he healed the physical sight of a blind person. 
And all throughout this, he taught as one with authority. He addressed people as whole human beings with a, with a body, a mind, and a soul. And he sought to seek the whole person. He sets many people free of the weight of fear, guilt, and shame. And he energizes the lives of a whole bunch of people around him to begin to have experience personal breakthrough in their life and to do amazing things. And so I guess it's no wonder that the people at large think you're someone special. Like you're, you're out of this world. Like the way you're living it, 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 it is really amazing. But then he turns and he poses the question to his followers. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say? And I, we won't do it out loud, but I want you for a moment. I want you to pause and think that question for yourself. I want you to ask, who is it that I say Jesus is? And allow whatever descriptors come to mind. I encourage you to be honest. Take just a moment. Okay, log, log those thoughts for a moment in your memory bank. And then tell me, who does, how does Peter answer the question? What does he say? What's his answer? When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? What does Peter say? You're the Messiah. He says, you're the Messiah, the Christ. And so, and in my version, it says the, the Christ. But the, the word Christ is, in Hebrew, is also Messiah. And effectively, the, in ancient Hebrew history, I think, I think Vincent, you touched on it. The, I think it was you that touched on it. The Messiah has this high association to priests and kings. And the, the idea of being a Messiah is that you're an anointed one. And in the ceremonial coronation of a, of a, of a king, they actually pour oil as a part of this sort of ceremony to say you're, you're going to be a king in this role. And so this idea that all through scripture, the Christ or the Messiah is the anointed one of God. And for a first century Jew, the Christ actually refers specifically to this idea of this promised coming king who is going to establish the physical nation of Israel over all other nations. So they have this idea, and I think this was touched on, that when, when, Christ, when the Christ comes, he's going to be like an actual king basically freeing them from whatever bondage the people of Israel are under and establishing them as a part of it. This is hinted at in the Old Testament when God is speaking to David about David's about King David, is, is, who is currently a king over Israel in, in years past, is, is getting ready to die. And God is saying, I'm going through you to establish a, an heir from your lineage who will do just that, who will become this forever king who will reign forever on your throne. That's like a prophecy. It's in Chronicles. Um, and then again, if we keep reading in our scripture, we'll get to the book of Acts, which is actually sort of in the future from the moment we've read just now. And, and Jesus at this point has already died. He's resurrected from the, de- from the grave. And now people are saying, are you now going to establish, are you going to bring about the reign of, of your kingdom over Israel? So they're still thinking that this is going to happen. Um, so there's this paradigm within the first century Jews that that's what's going on. So, Jesus, so Peter answers the question through this lens. Who do you say that I am? Oh, you're the Christ. You're the one who's going to come and be the conquering king that restores Israel and establish us over all the 
other nations. And so I think with that in mind, Jesus's response actually makes sense. If that's what Peter thinks, and, and Jesus doesn't deny it, by the way, but he says, hey, don't tell, I, I strictly charge you, don't tell anybody about that. Because you can imagine if they went around saying like, oh, our guy's going to overthrow Rome. And like, you know, he probably upset the Romans and he probably upset the Jewish leaders who are thinking, who's this guy? We don't know him. So you're going to have a whole kind of mess if they go. So he's like, hey, don't, don't say that to too many people, you know, that idea. Um, but Jesus doesn't deny the title. Um, but he does, and I think it was you, Vincent, who talked, or someone, but maybe it was you, who talked about, like, Jesus doesn't fit in the box that we want to put it in. Who said that? Who was that? It was, it was you guys. Um, and so why is it that he starts talking about suffering? If he's like, oh, you're the Christ, Jesus doesn't deny that that's true. But then he starts talking about how he's going to suffer. And if we read again, um, can someone, can you put up the, the 8, 31 to 33? Oh, there it is. So he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days and rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and then Peter took him aside and began to, re- to rebuke him. And um, so here it goes. He, like, doesn't, you know, Peter has this frame of mind, but because he doesn't understand reality, as Jesus is understanding reality, Peter's... Peter's proposed set of actions like don't line up with the, where Jesus is, is going. And the reason is, is because Jesus is not actually in this moment coming to establish a physical kingdom for Israel. He's coming to establish a spiritual kingdom and over, overthrow spiritual powers, not Roman physical, you know, flesh and blood powers. That's why he's here. Peter doesn't understand that. And so he is he's thinking down here. And so that's Jesus's rebuke. Like, hey, you're thinking of things in the world, not of things of God. That's like the next slide. If you kind of flip it around. Yeah, you do not have the mind, the, the in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And so he's living in the wrong paradigm. He cannot comprehend that, that Jesus, who has come to, the, to be the conquering king, has to first become the suffering servant in order to become the conquering king that has not entered his mind. And so what does the Bible say about this idea of Jesus as a suffering servant? He's just talked about it. I've got to go suffer. And I've got to, you know, there's another, there's a, there's a non-earthly war. There's a, a kingdom of God concept that I've come to address. And so what I want to do, I'm going to share a few scriptures. And I'm not going to give a ton of commentary on them. We're just going to let them kind of uh, sit out there and whether, you know, you've come in and you believe the Bible is true or not, we're in church. So let's see what does the Bible have to say about this idea um, of Jesus as a suffering servant. And maybe God will begin to speak to you through, through that because um, it's all over the Bible, this idea of suffering. So the first one, Hebrews 2, we can 14. So I'll read it. I, I'll read it here. So since the children... And then that's like of man, like the children, that's humans, have in context, it's saying, since the children of man have flesh and blood, he too, meaning Jesus, he, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The next one. 
is also in Hebrews. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, if those two things are true, I want to know more about this, that if Jesus came and through his death broke the power of Satan and got rid of the fear of death. It actually said, if you go back a slide, like that's like the culminating thing. He, he actually gets rid of the fear of death. Like we, I don't have to be afraid of death. Like I would love to know more about that. Is that actually true? Like if that's true, that's preposterous. How could that be? But it's through his death and suffering that he's saying, this is what's going to, this is what happens. Um, so we mentioned John the Baptist a minute ago from, the, our, from our, within our text. He's mentioned, what is, so what does John the Baptist have to say about this idea? And he's, he says this. He says, uh, I don't think it's a slide for this one, Mike. It's okay. Um, he, he says this in a moment when he sees Jesus c- coming toward him. He says to the people around him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this lamb, like what does that mean? It's referring to the sort of, traditional Jewish animal sacrificial system that was in place. And it's really a word picture. Like, like he's using a word, John, uh, uh, John the Baptist is using a word picture to, to illustrate that Jesus has come to die as a sacrifice for sin. Well, where did he get that idea? And I think the anchor passage that really sort of grounds this whole idea of Jesus as a one who suffers is actually in Isaiah, which was penned about 700 plus years prior to the the moment we read this morning. And it's in Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. I've taken the liberty of of sort of editing a bit because it's a bit of a long passage. So if you were to go read, I'll tell you it's Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. If you want to read the whole thing, I've stripped out some little pieces just to give us the flavor that it's saying about Jesus as a suffering servant. And this is what it says. It's speaking of Jesus. This is 700 years in the past before he came on this scene. It says, says this. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid it upon him, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, So he did not open his mouth. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, after he has suffered, he will see the light. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so just a little survey of that prophetic text about Jesus, that 
he, he, a key part of his mission was actually to come and he would be one who suffers. And this is portrayed all through scripture. So what about being a servant? And there are several passages that speak to him being not just one who suffers, but a suffering servant. And in Mark uh, 10, 45, it says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then again in Luke, his disciples are actually arguing about who is the greatest among us, of us cool disciples who are in the inner circle with Jesus. Who's the, who's the number one of us? Here's Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, the kings and the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rule like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And then one more, Paul, multiple years later, writes this to the church in, in Philippi. He says this, encouraging the church. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What's that mindset? Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the whole scripture is really a story of God serving his creation. This is all through scripture. I picked out a couple of verses. And so the reality is being informs doing. That's true for us and it's true for God. Who you are informs what you do. And so, so Peter has this idea of Jesus as a conquering king. And while that's true, he's also a suffering servant. And because he's a suffering servant, now it makes sense why he has to go suffer, right? Because being informs doing and so he didn't you know he was seeing it through that lens and i do want to just say and we'll get to kind of where we're headed here quickly i think that we can be at risk at least as christians that we treat jesus we're more comfortable with him as the conquering king and not as comfortable like peter with him being a suffering servant we'd rather i would rather have jesus be the one who is able to bless my agenda and cause my thing to win to be the thing that wins against the other side then actually realize that there's a path that's not about establishing my agenda, but about let, you know, laying a life down so that it can be raised up. And actually it's happening not on this temporal realm, but on a spiritual reality that we're all actually a part of, even though we don't kind of see it in front of our eyes. And so the scary thing is, Peter was probably act, acting out of like genuine love and care for Jesus spent a lot of time with him up to this point and I think was all in and liked him. Like, no, 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 don't, don't, you can't go. Like, don't go die. I don't want, I don't want you to die. I'm, and he's self, he's like self-protecting Jesus, you know, and he's not realizing that you don't have to protect me and you don't have to protect yourself either. Cause guess what? You can't die. Like you cannot die. We read that earlier in Hebrews, right? Jesus came to, to remove the power of Satan and of death and the fear of death. You can't die. And that's true today for us. Do we actually think that is true, that, um, that that's, that's the case? So I think it's interesting that Luke is trying to introduce his audience 
persecuted <coughs> Gentile Christians in Rome to a Jesus that's actually a suffering servant who then through his death becomes the conquering king. And, and he's not just a resurrected truth teller. Rather, he's, he's truth personified. Like when he, if we keep reading in your Bible, we'd see the scene of the death, burial, and resurrection. And through the resurrection, we see that Jesus actually isn't just telling propositional truth. He claims that he is the truth. Truth is a person that can be known. And that's true today. Um, and so as we get to kind of this, where I want to like land us and spend some time in listening prayer, I do want to just address the last verses that I haven't really spoken to just really briefly, which are the, the whole section around sort of self-denial. Like unless you lose your life, you can't gain it. And so um, I think it's, a, it's basically a big call to give up our, like Peter, where he was seeing in his earthly paradigm, he was looking through a lens of an earthly paradigm, not a kingdom paradigm. It's a call to give up, to let go of your earthly paradigm and to take a hold of a kingdom paradigm that Jesus is living in. And so in that way, it's not, this isn't, if you go reread 34 to 38, it's not a call to like crush your own identity and say, woe is me, I'll just do whatever you say. It is a, it is a call though, I think, to let go of our self-made earthly identity that we hold on to, that we come up with ourselves and actually take a hold of the invitation that God says, no, I'm, I'm the one that made you. I'm the one, I, you don't make identity, you receive identity. You get it from me. And we know this because that's made clear in scripture, but I want to just read Psalm 139, which alludes to this. And it says this, this is, the, this is David, King David, who we mentioned before. He's penning this as a poet, which is part of his identity. We see that through scripture. He was a poet and he's operating in his identity as a poet. We're not all poets. We're not all gifted that way. David was. And he finds words in his identity to explain what's going on with the reality of us being. Like, who are we? Like, who, who am I? Here's what he says. Speaking of God, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And that idea that like you are wonderful. If we, we got to receive that from scripture, you're the way you were made is wonderful. But do we receive that? See, we receive these ideas. We don't make them up. We receive them. We don't create identity so that we can be wonderful. We are wonderful. God says that's who we are. We're made in his image. And so um, I think the amazing thing is though, like as you saw with Peter, it starts with right view of God. Then we can have the right view of ourselves, and then our right actions will follow. If we, if we don't have the right view of God, we'll misunderstand who we are and we'll do the wrong things or we'll be misplaced in what we do in life. And so again, being informs doing, but the way we get our being is we, we understand who God is. That's where it starts. And so I want to um, spend some time with the time we have left and I'll just kind of, I guess, shepherd us through this a little bit. I think 
that I want to allow God to speak for himself a little bit, um, to speak to you about who he is. And like Peter, our wrong beliefs, you know, lead to these wrong actions. And um, I think that this suffering king would want to serve you this morning because that's who he is. And he hasn't changed. Just, it's not that he was the suffering king, but now is only the conquering king or suffering servant who is now the conquering king. He, he is these things. He, he still loves to serve and lay out his life. And so this idea that he has suffered, he is a servant. He's also a conquering king who defeated Satan and death. And he's a king with all power and authority. But we've got to tell the truth about what we actually think about him. It's, we cannot live in a lie. And so the question that's out there this morning is it, that Jesus, I think, is now asking you in real time, really, who do you say that I am? And I think if we go back to Psalm 139, which I read about being knit together, at the end of that chapter, what I'd like to do is, is use the last couple of verses or verse to give us a bit of some guardrails for how can we walk this out in this moment right now. Because I think we need help to actually like, I think, I think we can like begin to scratch at the surface for what we think about God. But I actually think to plumb the depths of our hearts, we need help to surface like what we really, really actually believe. And so in, in that Psalm 139, at the end, it says this, it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any offensive way in me. So we're going to ask God to help us to tell the truth about him, about actually some of the negative things that we think about him. We're going to ask the question, who do we say that you are? And I don't want to hold any punches. Uh, Let's not just kind of say the religious answer. And this is in the Bible called confession. It's a bit of a Catholic sounding word. It doesn't mean saying you're sorry. I'm sorry that I feel this way about you. It's not that. God never, Jesus never asks people to say sorry to him, ever. It's not what he does. But confession is just simply truth telling. And so what I want to encourage us to do is in this moment, kind of die, lean into that. I'm going to pray that prayer over us. And you can, in your, you know, kind of self agree and, and listen to that. And I'm going to share in a moment some prompts to help us with what I really, what am I really saying? But before I do, if everybody can grab like a card or your phone, I would encourage you, if you if you feel compelled, to just write down this first part of the the two part exercise. We're on part one. Part one is to I want you to write, begin to write and think down what are the negative thoughts that you have about God. But we're going to ask God to help us surface those. And here, let me just walk through. Cycle these through. I want to read these out loud. This is what I mean. God, I don't believe you speak. And even if you did, I don't think you'd speak to me. If that's true, write that down. That's what I mean. Like, we're not checking our mind at the door here. Like, whatever's been coming up for you as this is happening, let's be real about it. God, if you did speak, I don't think I'd want to hear what you have to say. God, I don't think, or I think if you, if you did speak, I think you'd probably criticize me or say something mean like, get behind me, Satan. God, if you're actually real, I think you're cruel and certainly not loving because if you were loving, you would fill in the blank. God, I'm mad at you because you weren't there for me when. God, I'm terrified of death. God, I actually hate the person I see in the mirror. And if you created me, I don't think you did a very good job. 
God, I'm disappointed in you because. God, I feel lost in life, and I don't believe you can actually help me in any meaningful way. God, I believe you you abandoned me when. God, I believe that my sin, past and present, is too great to overcome, so I'll just deal with it myself. God, I don't think you're capable of delivering me from my present situation. And last one, God, I'm scared for my family, and I don't think you can or will do anything to help, and so it's all on me. Those are just to get the gears turning for what I mean. So I'm going to pray that prayer out of Psalm 139, and I want to encourage you to spend some time and allow um, these thoughts to surface in your mind. So Jesus, we're calling on you right now. We're looking to you. You just asked us the question, who do you say that I am? We're also asking you to help us with the answer. So search us, God, right now. Know our hearts. You know our heart. It's so hard to know our heart, but you know it. Bring up our anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in us. Help us to be honest right now, God. There may be more that you're wanting to process in that question. I encourage you to do that. Um, maybe this week. Kind of d- dig into that. But the, what I want to do now is, as a se- second step, we're going we're gonna to ask God to weigh in on what we've just thought of and are writing, writing down. Um, I want to just say a few things as we do this, just to kind of help guide you know, this process. Number one, the Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. And so when we pray, we, the object that we can see, as it were, I know he's not here in the room, but like the idea is Jesus, the incarnate Jesus is who we pray, um, we often pray to. We believe God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Father, Jesus, and Spirit. Um, but right now, since Jesus is the one that asked the question, who do you say that I am? Let's think about Jesus. I'm asking you now. What do you have to say? And here's a couple of just um, helpful um, handles, as, as it were. Earlier, Sarah came up and shared a word that she said, hey, I, before today, I had a picture and it was of someone in a field, and they were working in a field. And then they had these sheaves of wheat, and then they were moving through the field, and stuff happened. And then they got to a father figure who was at home. And the father figure swooped them up in their arms and hugged them. This idea of, like, it's, it's a picture. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God. It's like, what does that mean? It's like, oh, well, it's a lamb. Like, oh, but that, what does that mean? So we asked the question, what does it mean that he's a lamb? Oh, it means that. And this idea that we can actually engage in in a bit of it, like the intuitive mind, the creativity that God has given uniquely humans is an amazing gift. And we see all through scripture, Jesus very often speaks through parable. When they're like, people will ask him a direct question and he'll say, oh, well, the kingdom of heaven is like, and it's like a person who buried treasure in a field. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Like, tell me directly. Well, you know, these ideas are bigger. And so he often speaks, I want to say, be open to pictures, to um, the intuitive mind that's not always just literal. Actually, literalism is one of the lowest forms of understanding. Often God will speak to us, he might drop a word in your head, and you're like, that doesn't really mean anything. So I'd ask the next question. What do you, okay, I can't, I can't, I'm thinking door. I can't stop thinking about door. What? 
I would say, Jesus, is there something you want me to know about a door? And then listen, see what he does. And so there's going to be this kind of engaged process. It's not like hocus pocus. It's we actually believe that God is alive and that he does speak. And that similar to what we just read in scripture, it's a bit of a conversation. And so when something doesn't, it, when it comes into your mind, don't just reject it. We're going to create some space and believe that God is going to bring thoughts. And they come into your mind often as your thoughts. Like you're like, well, wait, that was just my thought. I didn't like it. Very rarely, I've never met anybody who said, I heard the audible voice of God. It spoke, you know. I think I've heard stories that people have heard that. But like generally, it's in your mind. And he speaks to you through, because he's not here to speak like this to me and Sarah. He speaks through your thoughts. And so they are your thoughts, but they're his thoughts. And he's, put, and he's bringing those two things together. So if thoughts come into your mind when we create this moment of space where we're listening, don't reject it right away. Say, oh, is that you? I think it might be. How would I know? And so we're going to pray God that God will, will help us um, to do that. And so um, as we lean in, the, the last half of that, the very last line of that passage we read about search me and know my heart, O God, and see if there be any offensive way in me. The last line is, and lead me in the way everlasting. So we're going to ask God right now. We've just, he's helped hopefully to search our hearts. We've written some stuff down. Okay, now lead me out of that. And we're going to ask the question, what do you want me, like, like I'll just, let me just get there. We're going to ask him, I'll say it this way. We're going to ask him to serve us. We've just written down honest truth statements and he deals with truth. That's what he does. And we're going to ask him to reveal something about him or you that would respond in some way to what you just confessed. Remember, confession is just telling the truth. And so we're going to ask God to speak in a way that you you would personally understand and that it would make an impact on you. Um, so we're going to spend a few minutes and just do that. And so I want you to, um, again, be open to the intuitive mind, be open to pictures and follow your train of thought. Don't just reject it as like, that was just me. Let's see um, what God would say. And so as he leads us in the way ever, everlasting. So I'm going to pray and we're going to spend a little bit of time to do that. God, and, and maybe you can just like, before you dive in, just kind of listen to my voice and maybe pray it. I'll create some, some pauses so you can just pray it for yourself. And don't pray to me. We're going to pray to God. And we're going to say this, God, will you serve me and speak to me this morning? I'm asking you to reveal something about yourself that would respond in some way to what I've just confessed that I believe about you. I'm asking you to reveal to me something about yourself that would respond in some way to what I've just confessed I believe about you. And I'm asking you, God, to speak in a way that I would personally understand and that would make an impact on me. I'm asking you to speak in a way that I would personally understand and that would make an impact on me. Speak now, God. I'm listening. We'll just pay attention to what thoughts and feelings you have that go through your body and mind. Follow those. Speak now, God. I'm listening.
Thanks so much for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast. If we can be of any help to you, please don't hesitate to contact us at hello at sanctuarysf.com. We would love to connect. And wherever this finds you, may you experience the grace and peace of God our Father.